0: Welcome to the holiday season. My name is Sam Clements and this is your one-stop shop for all things related to writer and director Nancy Meyer's 2006 festive rom-com The Holiday, the festive house swap comedy starring Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, Jude Law and Jack Black, described as a leisurely feel-good rom-com by Time Out London and a lark by the Boston Globe. In episode two I wanted to focus on the story of the film how it came to be, take a closer look at the screenplay itself to understand its construction and look at how Nancy Myers writes. It goes without saying, but there will be spoilers for the holiday in this podcast. Please do pause the show if you've not seen the movie before, go and watch the holiday, you will have a really wonderful 135 minutes and we'll be waiting for you when you come back. Nancy Meyers is a very experienced writer and was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Writing, Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen, alongside co-writers Charles Shire and Harvey Miller for her first film, Private Benjamin, at the 1981 Academy Awards. Since then, Nancy Meyers has either co-written and produced films with Charles Shire, such as Baby Boom, Isle of Trouble and Father of the Bride, or has written solo on films that she's also directed, from The Parent Trap and What Women Want, to It's Complicated, and most recently, The Intern, in 2015. In the middle of all that was, of course, The Holiday. Of the many hats Myers wears, she is first and foremost a screenwriter. At the 2015 BAFTA Screenwriters Lecture, with host Bryony Hansen... Are you still, at heart, a writer? Yes. That is your, that is your yes. primary... Totally. So my passport says. That, that's what, that is what your passport yes. says. Yes, <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. Well, is that the thing that gives you the most pleasure? Yeah, I I do like the writing the best. I think I like editing movies also. You know, it's the actual making of them that's hard. You know, the writing is it's really where it all happens. Mm-hmm. And then the directing I find is just executing the writing. It's really why I became a director. Honestly, it wasn't. It really started out of just protecting the screenplay. Mm-hmm. The idea of protecting the script is interesting. Myers often uses emotive language when describing her relationship to her work. Interviewed by Peter Kleins for creative screenwriting in 2009, she said, I can't imagine a scenario going forward where I'd be writing an original script for someone else to direct. Adding after a moment, that would be too painful. In The Holiday, Nancy Myers actually gets to write a screenwriter character in Arthur Abbott, played by Eli Wallach. To an avid Myers fan, this feels a little like wish fulfilment, and a chance for the director to voice some of her own concerns around the industry. On the DVD commentary for the film, as we get to a key Arthur Abbott scene, Myers says, Screenwriters are underappreciated in Hollywood, so I wanted to say something about the contribution screenwriters have made to our culture and our genre. Whilst looking into the origins of the holiday, I spoke to Jennifer Eats, associate producer on the film and the person who ran Nancy Myers's company, Waverly Films, at Sony when the film was made. Jennifer remembers how Nancy Myers would write back then.
1: She tends to write in an office from her home. So it wasn't like she came into the office every day and wrote. She would come in from time to time while she was writing and she came in and said, I have this idea and sort of pitched it very loosely about two women trading homes. That's sort of, in my recollection, it's been a few years. But in my recollection, the idea began with, isn't it crazy that people trade homes sometimes? And what an interesting jumping off point for a film.
0: On a DVD commentary, Nancy Myers, talking about the genesis of the idea, says, It was actually something that happened to me. I went online, I was looking for a house in France to rent, by accident, I went on to homeexchange.com, but I didn't realise I was there because I was Googling lots of different places and I was looking at these places. Then I realised I had to swap my house to get one of them. And I was really intrigued by the idea. I've never heard of a home exchange, so I worked that into the script that I was already working on.
1: Nancy outlines her movies in quite extraordinary detail before she writes, and so she, I knew she was outlining the film and that sort of where. You know, that's when I first heard about it It's when she started to outline it.
0: So you were at the centre of what was soon to become a major movie.
1: Yeah. And to watch someone with that level of talent do it and that level of detail. She is, to this day, even, I would say, of all the filmmakers I've worked with, her her attention to detail is extraordinary. And so watching someone with that sort of level of commitment to their work, to watch them Create something from from. Hey, I have an idea. Through obviously, the release of a of film is is really. It's pretty special.
0: What did you notice being in close professional proximity to Myers during the early writing phase?
1: She does a lot of research. They're not just sort of rom coms. She really gets into her characters and and under their skin in a way that um, and because she's a writer director because she writes her her movies as well I think there's even more of um, a map if that makes sense um, or a detailed blueprint.
0: How did you feel when you got the job working with Nancy Myers?
1: Are you kidding me? (laughs) I was thrilled I was thrilled I hate to say I grew up on her movies because it's not like I was a Baby, when I began, you know, watching them, I'm not that that much younger than her, but I really am a diehard fan of her work, and was at the time. And the opportunity to work for someone who is so extraordinarily talented, it was, it was exciting. So I was, I was thrilled.
0: Off the back of the blueprint, Nancy Myers wrote her screenplay for *The Holiday*. With regards to Myers' approach to screenwriting, again at the 2015 BAFTA Screenwriters Lecture with Brianne Hanson, she said.
1: I wouldn't hand anything in until it works.
0: And typically, how long does that take? Do you, uh, is it, is a long it, time. <laughs> uh, a long is, time. Is there a difference in the, you know, some films just come to you and the scripts no, are out? They or? all take a long time. What's a long time? A year? Yeah, okay. And with how many drafts? Uh, 10 to 15, more like 15 than 10. Here's script editor Becky Bryanoff who did not work on the film, but is a great admirer of it. I asked Becky to appraise the script, like she would for one of her clients. Here's Becky summarising the plot for us.
2: London, Christmas party season. Iris, a gentle doormat who writes about other people's weddings for The Telegraph, is in unrequited love with her colleague and absolute cad, Jasper Bloom, who's not only cheated on Iris, but has just got engaged to another woman. Meanwhile in LA, whip-smart and highly-strung movie trailer editor Amanda is throwing out her cheating, gaslighting boyfriend Ethan, who's planted a seed that she is the problem in her relationships. The two women, they find each other through like a home exchange website and they decide to swap lives for Christmas. They're getting away from their problems, so Iris away from Jasper and Amanda away from herself. Herself. iris loves it <laughs> amanda not so much she's like oh i'm gonna go home um and then she meets iris's absolutely gorgeous quite drunk brother and decides to keep him for the night and they ended up having a lovely time she stays iris ends up having sort of a bit of a packed subplot well a few subplots really because she ends up meeting this lovely kindly neighbor who's a bit of a hollywood legend He's very lonely she meets this score composer who a bit problematic but we'll get down the line to that and then also there's the whole Jasper needing to tidy that up but by the end everyone sort of you know ends up back in Surrey having a lovely New Year's Eve together for reasons that, I mean, that doesn't, the story doesn't really sort of end no one's story's really wrapped up <laughs> which I can get to later but um, it is very nice seeing them all dancing around to Aretha Franklin at the very end. Of the movie.
0: So the story is quite epic
2: it's two hours and fifteen minutes. It's quite lengthy. If I were to make notes on pace, I would definitely know what or who could be cut. <laughs> <really. laughs> but um, but yeah, I you know I I don't say that I don't pay attention to every little bit because it is it's very compelling and it's very charming. A film, I think, a big part of that is down to um. To Iris as well. I mean, what, I think it's the only rom-com that Kate Winslet has done, I think, maybe? It's the only one that springs to mind. She's she's known for doing quite dark and challenging roles. And this this was her
0: first... A contemporary role. Mm. Um, before that, she would had a whole career of doing period dramas and just like Titanic, Sense so, and Sensibility, so, so, like all of this stuff. Um, and, and this was the first time she was saying she didn't have to wear a big frock or a corset, <laughs> uh, and she quite enjoyed that.
2: Oh, and you can see she has a whale of a time in this film as well. That whole sequence where she's just running around the mansion is just lovely. Which isn't actually—it's very different in the script, uh, yeah, the way that was written down. Um, the assistant who's named Bristol. Yes, hey. Catherine Hahn. Yeah, Catherine Hahn. The assistant actually like kind of shows her around the house, which makes more sense, because one of the the cynical things I brought to the first viewing of the film was like, what, How this really ridiculous, complicated, massive house. <laughs> you have just like let her roam around it on her own with no help whatsoever. But actually that is addressed in the script, but I guess, you know, for the sake of cutting, <laughs> cutting down from three hours to 2.15, you need to cut some chaff somewhere. Having two main characters, is that problematic? No, I really like the mirroring plot conceits. However, I think the conflict conflict is a bit weighted more on Iris. She's got more threads to wrap up before the end of the film than Amanda does. So Iris has to get Arthur to the awards. She's got to navigate this sort of friendship, maybe romance with Miles, and she's got to get over Jasper. Well, Amanda's story is a lot more straightforward, like she's one woman, there's one guy involved, and she's just on this journey to discover that she's actually a great person. She's not the problem in her relationship, sort of thing. If we wanted to cut the film down and make it a bit more balanced in terms of plots, I would suggest maybe cutting the whole Miles subplot um, and just focusing on. I mean, not to not to disparage Nancy's script because she's brilliant. She's I love her work. But if we were gonna you we were gonna get rid of anything, I would suggest Miles because um, he's a little bit of a problematic character and that he behaves much in the same way that Jasper does you know he's got a girlfriend and he's highly inappropriate with with iris and uh behaves terribly like boob graze that's awful <laughs> <laughs> just terrible and just really laughed off they have no chemistry whatsoever um and i think what's really sad is that we don't like spend much time kind of focusing on um like platonic love. I think the relationship between Iris and Arthur is so lovely and pure and I would have loved to have seen that have a lot more time spent on it and substituted for, you know, the Miles relationship because through, through her friendship with Arthur, she realises that she is a girl with gumption and she's amazing all by herself and she is the leading lady in her own life and um, she doesn't really need Miles to validate that. And, it would be, and you see more and more in films nowadays that that, you know, platonic love is celebrated a lot more with films like, uh, you know, Something Great or Blockers even, <laughs> things like that. It's great. But I th- maybe, maybe if this film had been made now, we would have forgotten Miles completely and just focused on the lovely relationship between Iris and Arthur. But, um, but yeah, I think if we were going to weight the, the two characters more evenly, I would have done that. It's safe
0: to say Becky wasn't won over by Jack Black's character, Miles.
2: I think if you were going to get rid of anything... Yeah, it would be him. It was just, it was sort of, oh, why is he there? Is He's actually behaving just like Jasper does. He doesn't really add anything to this relationship for Iris. He's just sort of there to... It's like she's learnt a lot from Arthur. And then, uh, I guess, Miles is like her prize? But he's not a great prize. <laughs>
0: I don't think Jack Black would mind. When asked about his favourite Christmas movie on the red carpet for Jumanji The Next Level, he forgot he was even in The Holiday. Maybe he's not a fan
2: of Miles either. Do
1: I have a Christmas movie? Oh, the holiday! Obviously the holiday. Nancy <laughs> Myers, genius. Let's do this.
2: Amanda's ending is perfect. Like She realises that she she has never been the problem in her relationship. She's just never met a Graham who just loved her for exactly the way she was. And, you know, she's, she's great as she is. And Iris, kind of similar, really. But what she really needed to do was tell Jasper off. And she does do that. And, she do, you know, she's, she's given all of that oomph and gumption because of this wonderful, kindly old neighbour in her life. So, yeah, Miles adds nothing.
0: I'm a little surprised by the Miles backlash. When I'm watching the film, I really enjoy Kate Winslet's scenes with Jack Black. He's got a lot of charisma and screen presence. Um, and maybe I just I was coasting by on, on Jack Black's charm to not... You have to actually see the words written on the page to yeah. see how similar they are.
2: That's the kind of the joy of um, reading a film alongside watching it at the same time, which I recommend everyone does. Just like all your favourite films have scripts easily available online. See the differences. See what, you know, why something is suddenly really, really great to watch when actually when you're reading it, you're like, Eah. Which, you know, with someone like Nancy, she's been doing this long enough where... Even I, th- I think you know. Even if a consultant had said like, "Oh, maybe you can get rid of this," she would be like, "Don't worry, it's going to be fine on the screen." <laughs> <laughs> and me. it is like everyone loves it.
0: Is there anything in the film you appreciate more now for doing this this work, uh, watching it alongside the screenplay?
2: There's something about reading a script alongside watching a film where you're just like, "Oh God, they absolutely nailed that character." Like she, she wrote these people absolutely perfectly on the script, and that gave the actor everything they absolutely needed. But there's like there's actually a bit of Cut dialogue that I think really brings to light Maya's sort of relationship politics. This is a really personal film to her, and like there's an element of her personal experiences in all of her films. And there's one bit that's been cut from what Amanda says quite early on when she's telling off um, Ethan, and she says, and I'm kind of sad this is cut, but I can see maybe why. So she says. Um, it's a coward's way of breaking up. And at its core, what it is, is unkind because it makes everyone involved, including me, feel cheap and crazy. It's a bad way to end things because this is how I'll always think of you. Not as that guy I spent three years with and went to Hawaii and took cooking lessons with. You will always and forever be that asshole that lied and cheated and nothing you ever say or do from this moment on will ever change my mind about you. In the world of love, not that I'm such a genius at it, but in the world of love, cheating is simply not acceptable. And I don't know, like who cheated on Nancy or who cheated on someone she cares about very much or maybe she cheated on someone has really reflected hard on it. But I love that. And um, I think another piece of dialogue that, again, it's fantastic when you watch it on the screen, but um, there's something about just reading the words off a page is um, Kate Winslet delivering, I think, the best words about breakups <laughs> ever committed to paper which is about you know it doesn't matter how many haircuts you get or glasses of chardonnay you drink or you know after a while all those fuzzy feelings will go away and and uh, you you eventually sort of put yourself back together again and it's oh it's absolutely wonderful
0: was there anything else that stood out in terms of the script writing
2: oh yeah so character descriptions i think this is what when when i read a script um, especially by new writers as well something I always really encourage them is like right okay you've nailed your first draft in your second and third like really add texture to what we're looking at on screen and to your characters like give your actors something to work with and I just want to give you descriptions of some so Amanda is you can and you can also tell who Nancy's favourites are <laughs> <laughs> as well um, so Amanda The thrower of the sneaker is Amanda Woods, wearing white pyjamas, a bedhead of fabulous hair, a necklace with some sort of diamond pendant and a red Kabbalah string bracelet. Amanda wouldn't know how to play the victim if she was one. Men don't just fall for this woman, they fall under her spell. Fiercely intelligent, blazing eyes, a big city girl with a small town in her past. At the moment, she's about to explode. I mean, ah, what a great description. That's Nancy. That's Nancy. Nancy has yes. the small
0: town past.
2: Nancy is Amanda. She definitely
0: has silk pyjamas. She lives in the area Cameron Diaz lives in in this film. That's her neighbourhood.
2: Oh, brilliant. Um,
0: I don't know about the Kabbalah. I don't think the Kabbalah made it into the film either. I don't, I don't think know. she's wearing that bracelet. On the director's commentary, Nancy Meyer says that Amanda was also hugely inspired by a Carol Lombard role in Nothing Sacred. Well, I'd love to know all of the four, but really keen to hear how she describes Iris.
2: Iris. So Iris gets a very brief description, but then of course we learn a lot about her from the dialogue. She's the first voice that we hear, but she's described very briefly. We are looking at Iris, smartest girl in the room, although she doesn't know it, sweet to her core, the unrealised hero of her own life. It's very sweet. That feels like Mm. a
0: line Iris would write. Yes, exactly.
2: (laughs) Beautiful. I quite like the description of of Graham, actually. (laughs) We find the rakishly handsome Graham, all twinkly eyes and ruffled hair. He's some exotic and pleasing concoction of helplessness and cockiness. Just at the sight of him, Amanda is, for the first time in her life, speechless, which means this man has already changed her. You're like, ah, hello. there's so much story in (laughs) that.
0: Hello, Graham.
2: I think another just highlight visual grammar. What I mean, and this is just a little tip for screenwriters, visual grammar is two things. So one, everything that isn't dialogue, that lets you know what you're looking at on the screen, that helps you translate from script to screen in your mind's eye. And two, it's the visual language of the film to let you know what kind of story you're in. So for example, there's a big difference between the men get into the car Versus the lads pile into the motor. So you know exactly what kind of film you're watching. What you want to do is like scare or woo or intrigue your readers as well as your viewers. So um, so things like this. Um, a picture postcard stone cottage sits nestled in a winter garden. This is one of the smallest houses you've ever seen. Iris walks the narrow footbridge up to her front gate. She opens the gate and a bell rings. A dog can be heard barking inside the house. You're like, oh, I want to be there. <laughs> it's so enticing and charming and seductive and it's absolutely lovely.
0: I mean, these descriptions are like like I'm reading a novel. Yeah. This is a very romantic feeling, very warm.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's that's why I particularly love reading rom coms and horrors, because they really lend themselves to kind of more prose in a script as well. So it's it's a lot of fun. So I you yeah, know, I had a real thrill reading through this script because Myers is just great at it. We
0: should complete the set. How is Jack Black's character Miles introduced?
2: Early thirties, boyish, shaggy in his t shirt and khakis. The depth and tenderness of his composition belies his appearance. That's it.
0: Oh. <laughs> that's I don't know answer. if that's really like that is how he sort of looks in the film, but that doesn't say anything about the character like the other descriptions do.
2: No, it doesn't tell us too much about him at all. Really, it all just kind of comes through the, through interactions with other people later on, and then um, I guess just the strength of Jack Black's big personality.
0: Do you think it follows a classic rom com sort of arc, albeit with two characters?
2: I would say yeah. Like you've got um, you've got the person at the beginning who is uh, you know ha- broken hearted for some reason or other. They go through a bit of a messy adventure in the middle. There's a bit of a will they, won't they? They meet someone who could potentially be the one to kind of fix them and make them feel better and realise that what they've needed is is there inside them all along. And then they get the happy ending with that person. I think that kind of, that narrative is changing a little bit now in modern times, as as I mentioned before. Um, platonic love is getting much more of a seat at the table and how just generally I think demographics are changing across people in our age group, and other, you know, people older, younger than us. How people just are turning to different kinds of—it's not doesn't have to be a two-point-four family anymore. You don't need another person to to be happy, kind of thing. I think more people are realizing that, and that's being reflected in kind of modern movies a lot more. But um, this, I would say, even balancing the two storylines is definitely kind of following that arc more—a bit messier in Iris's, mm. but obviously Kate. Absolute pro carries it off beautifully. Um, <laughs> and it is, you know, it's just nice and cozy and lovely to see. <laughs> Problematic in places, but who cares? It's Christmas.
0: There's another key character that we briefly mentioned earlier aging Hollywood screenwriter Arthur Abbott, played by the legendary Eli Wallach, who bonds a virus throughout the movie. Is it weird that he talks to her using screenwriting language? you need to be the leading lady of your own life, gumption and such?
2: No, I think that kind of works, really, because you've done enough work up until then showing how Iris is very much not the leading lady in her own life, um, even though she narrates it at the very beginning. She's talking about lots of other people, and she's talk- when she does talk about herself, in it's a very like self-deprecating way. And uh, I think by the time you get to Arthur and you establish who he is and his expertise in this area as well, and just what's clearly going to be a very nice relationship between the two of them, I think. I think, that yeah, that's warranted.
0: There's another thing, too.
2: Iris's attempted suicide, which is treated very lightly.
0: It's incredibly dark. Yeah.
2: Um, not in the script.
0: Wow. No.
2: So um, if I just take an extract right here. It's eight hours later in England, and Iris is making a cup of tea before bed. She looks wiped out. It's been a hard night. A light snow falls outside the windows. So she hears her computer ping. She sits at the kitchen table and looks at her laptop. It's a home exchange instant message. It reads, I'm interested in renting your house. Is it still available? No suicide wow. so I don't know what discussion took place when Nancy was like, you know what this scene needs? <laughs> Could <Cool.
0: laughs> you just try and kill yourself, mate? Yeah, cheers.
2: <laughs> yeah, do you want me to be really charming while I do it? Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, that scene, because it's um it's quite a way to open a film. It's, it's still in the first half an hour of the movie and we're still getting to know the characters. And I'm always surprised by that scene. like The fact it's there in this film which everybody <laughs> talks know. about as being fluffy and feel-good. It starts with attempted suicide. Yeah.
2: Interestingly, so that leads me to a really bonkers fan theory that <laughs> is online. This is one that um, that suggests that Amanda and Iris are dead and are living in a limbo state throughout the film. Because there's a moment when Amanda has a panic attack and Iris attempts suicide, um, which again, treated very lightly. And fans theorise that um, they both die in this moment. Um but for me, this theory doesn't hold water for two reasons. So, one, she doesn't attempt it in the script, and so I don't think that was ever Maya's intention. Um, which, like, why would this ever be her intention? And two, women in Maya's films don't have real problems or high stakes. So, you know, death is one of those. <laughs> so, I just don't think it would be a thing. But it is just a marvelous bizarre i love the internet
0: nancy myers on the dvd commentary says that that scene came into the film because the day before shooting she was at an art house movie theater with her daughter hadley Shire, and they watched billy wilder's sabrina which features a similar scene where audrey hepburn turns on the engines of eight cars in a closed garage and considers killing herself over william holden's character Nancy says Kate Winslet's Iris was in a similar position and the film needed a scene to motivate the character to make the decision to switch houses with a total stranger overnight. There's a big story moment around halfway through where we learn that the women's names appearing on Jude Law's phone when he's with Cameron Diaz are actually his young daughters, not potential love rivals.
2: Does that work? I really like that reveal. I think it works quite well. So yeah, he gets a phone call from... A Sophie and he was like oh okay I'm sorry and then uh, then from an Olivia and I think Amanda's just sort of resigned herself to thinking and it's also a bit helpful for her as well thinking okay cool this this really uncomplicates things for a little bit because she's not looking for anything complicated Um, she's like cool this is gonna be like a two-week fling I'm gonna go home no problem and then oh no turns out he is actually the perfect guy and he's like a really good dad And he's not like, he didn't get divorced. She just died. (laughs) Which actually makes him even more hot for some reason. And um, what's weird, what doesn't quite fit though, is that Graham talks to, I think, Olivia in the second phone call, like she's a middle-aged man on the phone. He's just like, cool, all right, see you later. It doesn't say like, bye, love you, darling, or anything like that. So that's just it does really sound like he's being a bit shady, but it's to his daughter. (laughs) But it is completely believable, I think, um, that he would want to... I mean, we see at the very beginning of the film in the in the montage, like he's he is a little little bit, you know, he's enjoying his his. There's a lady singledom. in the pub. There's a nice lucky girl uh, yeah. in the pub um, <laughs> that he makes eyes with, and you know he definitely enjoys being single. But yeah, and that's totally understandable that he wouldn't want to bring his young daughters into into all of that mess and stuff. But obviously Amanda is a very special case. And <laughs> what makes me laugh though is when she does meet them and she's in the tent with them, and they're like, oh. We don't get a lot of adult girls come and, come and visit us. And I was like, what about Aunt Iris? God, yeah. How <laughs> <I'm> rude. <laughs> poor, poor Aunt Iris.
0: In terms of particular lines, I was really intrigued to hear what Becky made of some of the film's more famous pieces of dialogue. I'm looking for corny in my life.
2: I love that. It's so nice. It really, it sinks up the whole kind of old hollywood kind of romance that nancy myers is generally having um with this film and uh i think sometimes we all kind of want that a little bit sometimes it's yeah it's again you know iris doesn't really have real problems in the script i mean she does attempt suicide in the film so that suggests there's something more going on there but yeah it's just having a bit of corny in your life is kind of a nice thing to aspire to especially when she's been treated like sort of crap by Jasper as well I think people like Arthur in your life do inspire that and yeah it's it's hard not to when I guess you've been given a diet of old Hollywood movies full of gals with gumption and things like that then yeah I love that line
0: I think it's also it's a really great way to express that character progressing because Mm -hmm. before then she's Arthur's talking to her in old Hollywood terms. You know, you need to have more gumption. You need to be the leading lady in your own life. Here's some homework. You know, watch Casablanca. Watch these films that mm. I've worked on, and uh, and then she can actually use that to convince him to do the thing. He he's he yeah. doesn't want to go out and do the award show. He doesn't want to, you know, be seen on stage. He can barely walk. He's you know got yeah. lots of problems. He's very self conscious, and she manages to convince him mm. by using some of his own sort of old Hollywood screenwriting talk back at him, and it does it works. It's then great. you see this cute training montage. I
2: know. They're very good for each other, which totally fits and would work. But I, yeah, Miles and Iris are not good for each other. In that, well, she's good for him, but he's not good for her. But Arthur is good for her.
0: Absolutely, yeah. no, that's the true, that's the true romance there. Yeah, but Miles does have one of the best lines in the film. Iris, if you were a melody, I used only the good notes.
2: Yeah, that's it's a good, good line. <laughs> I would swoon at that line and probably spend a good few months pining after a Miles for that before coming to my senses. <laughs>
0: Nancy Myers isn't a big sequel writer. She has written one sequel, Father of the Bride Part 2, directed by Charles Shire, but never a follow up to something that she's also directed. It may not come as a surprise, but I would love to go back on holiday with these characters. Whilst promoting The Intern, Marie Claire did ask Myers if she'd be up for a sequel to The Holiday, to which she replied, She's waiting for the studio to contact her, but she knows that Jude Law is keen. Becky, in the interest of speeding up production on this dream project, has come up with her own idea
2: it might not satisfy people but this is this is what i think the logical conclusion by today's standards is where everyone would be now amanda's very sensible predictions come true and the next year proves a struggle for the whirlwind romance with Graham. As soon as she returns to L.A., rushes come in for the summer blockbuster season, and so time with Graham keeps getting pushed further and further back. They eventually see each other again at Christmas, when Graham comes to L.A. and has sex with Amanda in yet another bed his sister has slept in. They, They agree to have a romance that takes place only at Christmas, provided they are both single at the time, and this tradition continues for two more Christmases before Graham meets someone back home in Surrey and doesn't pick up again when that relationship ends. Amanda goes on to invent an app called Uncomplicator that's like Uber but for male escorts, for which she and many other type A workaholic women are the target audience. She and Iris remain in Christmas card contact. Speaking of Iris, after a week of what was only ever going to be a highly toxic and very codependent affair with Miles, consisting of tepid, apologetic sex, followed by weepy discussions of Maggie and treating Iris like a therapist, she drives Miles to Heathrow herself to make sure he definitely leaves. Taking time for herself, Iris quits her job at The Telegraph and spends the next year gadding about the globe. On her return, she pitches a Gilly Cooper-esque bonkbuster series set in London's publishing world, centred around a gal with gumption called Violet St James and sexy villain Conrad Huilty. She sends signed copies to Arthur, including very personal, slightly risque notes. He keeps the books on the mantelpiece next to his Emmys until he sadly, inevitably, leaves this world. Iris goes on to become something of a Victoria Corrin figure, a regular on panel shows with her own relationship column in a Sunday broadsheet. She marries extremely well. Miles returns to L.A. and immediately gets back together with Maggie. He sends Iris emails every few weeks in the hopes of steering the conversations towards the times they had sex. But Iris keeps things light and friendly before eventually just not replying anymore. He tends to employ hyperbole about their extremely brief and tame affair when talking about her two acquaintances. Miles's habit of kissing cheeks one too many times, lingering on them and accidental boob grazes with women he's only known for a few days leads to some... Aziz Ansari-level Me Too controversy in 2017. His career does not suffer. Um, Jasper's novel fails to hit critical or commercial success following attempts to schmooze his way into the Simpkins family via Iris to woo their publishing legend mum. Um, His marriage to Sarah results in two children, Figgy and Ludlow, who take after their mother in that they grow to hate him. The marriage ends as quietly as Tatler will allow when rumours of philandering turn out to be unsurprisingly true. Sarah goes on to be Britain's answer to Gwyneth Paltrow while Jasper's star fades. Into a dull hum. His current literature output can be found in the comments of 18 year old socialites' Instagram accounts. As Sophie and Olivia grow older, Graham joins the world of social media to keep tabs on them, and much to his surprise, quickly becomes a dad fluencer. His enduring popularity is down to his good looks, relatability, emotional intelligence, excellent dad tips, and of course, occasional posts from Mr. Napkinhead. Graham writes a series of YA novels based on the imaginary adventures of Sophie and Olivia have in their dreamy tent, which is optioned for an animated series. During a stint on Strictly Come Dancing, where he actually does very well, Graham and his professional dance partner fall in love and remain happily married. He thinks of Amanda often as the one that got away, knowing that were circumstances different, they would still be together. Each year when Christmas season begins, he pops to Iris's more frequently, and when she isn't looking, he glances through the cards that she has hung, seeing if Amanda has asked how he's doing.
0: As I was working on this episode, I was trying to find a quote from one of Nancy Meyers' collaborators about what it's like to read a meyers pen screenplay. Thankfully, Empire Magazine spoke to Cameron Diaz about the holiday in their January 2007 issue. Diaz's quote couldn't be more perfect. The great thing about her films is you get an old school movie where you're witnessing this wonderful romance and everything's bigger than life and shiny and perfect. She has a great formula. Every word is perfectly placed and that kind of gets you into this world. Then you get on that Nancy train and you ride it all the way to the station. So thank you for riding this Nancy train all the way to the station with me today. In the next episode, we'll expand on Becky's comment about reality in fictional films like The Holiday. And then we'll be moving on to the production of The Holiday, with a big focus on casting, location work and costume design. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. And please tell your friends, word of mouth is such a great way to spread the holiday love. The Holiday Season is written and produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. The show is edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing support from Andy Snook at The Silk Factory and the brilliant audio team at Number 8 London. You heard contributions from Jennifer Eats, associate producer on The Holiday, and Becky Brinoff, freelance script editor. You can watch the full 2015 BAFTA Screen Talk with Nancy Myers and Bryony Hansen on the BAFTA Guru YouTube channel. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Ollie Gibbs. You can find links to their work and more at 90minfilmfest.com slash theholidayseason. That's 90minfilmfest.com You can follow me on Twitter at Sam underscore Clements. Thank you for listening. See you next time.